From Flourish DX, this is the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. With workplace mental health becoming a safety prerogative, this is the source of information on psychological injury prevention and health promotion. Hi, and welcome to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. My name is Joelle Mitchell, and I'm one of the hosts of the show. The aim of the podcast is to rapidly introduce the knowledge and application of psychological health and safety in workplaces worldwide. To help with this, we have regular guests from around the world who are leading the way in this important area. Before I introduce our guest and topic for the day, allow me to introduce my co-host, Dr. Alicia Pappas. How are you today, Alicia? Joelle, I'm well, thank you. I'm um, dialing in from Queensland this time, not, not my usual Melbourne. I've just come up to the Gold Coast for a few days, um, so you can probably notice my background's a bit different, but it's, um, it's nice and sunny here, so a nice change from freezing Melbourne. Very nice. Nice mm. to have a little um, – so you're having a bit of a staycation there, aren't you? You're house-sitting for friends? I am, yes. Yeah. So they've gone away today for a few days. So they've got a little dog who's a bit elderly and needs his medication. So I said I'd come up and uh, dog-sit and house-sit. So it's the benefits of working um, with the team. We can be pretty much based anywhere now. So, yeah. That's it. Remote working certainly has its perks, doesn't it, Alicia? Mm-hmm. It sure does. What has your life become? Well, my life has become being able to travel to the Gold Coast for a, for a week and still work. Yes. What an awful, what an awful life this Terrible, is, working it? remotely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, let's introduce our guest for today. She is a WHS professional with 15 years of service in the Australian Capital Territory public healthcare sector, offering leadership and expertise in work health and safety and clinical safety. She is the Director for Occupational Violence Prevention and Management and WHS Projects at Canberra Health Services. Welcome to the podcast, Peter Musika. Thanks, Joelle and Alicia. And I I just um, want to acknowledge that I'm coming from Ngunnawal and Nambri land, so Canberra, which is also freezing like Melbourne, maybe next level freezing, (laughs) but nice today. Wonderful. And thank you so much for joining us today. Um, We'll be talking about uh, this topic of occupational violence in healthcare, and it's a topic that we haven't really addressed before on the podcast. Um, so I'm really keen to hear um, what you've been working on. Yeah. So, um, Peter, before we jump into occupational violence specifically, we uh, like to ask all our guests if they have any favourite podcast that they're listening to, um, whether that's related specifically to workplace mental health or more broadly. Anything, anything you've got playing at the moment? <laughs> Yeah, so I am a big fan of podcasts, so I had to kind of edit my long list. So I went onto the app and was scrolling and I'm like, okay, I need to rein it in. But I normally look at um, work-related ones like your um, psych health and safety and the safety of work, those type um, music-related ones. So Song Exploder is one that I've been getting into and The J Files. Um, but the one I kind of wanted to highlight was one I found recently, and that's um, Black Magic Woman by Manda, Manda, oh, I wrote her name down, so I'm going to get it. Manda Nara Bales, and I found that by accident recently. Um, my favourite author, Anita Heiss, was a guest on her podcast, so now I'm busy catching up with old episodes. I, there's, like, a lot to catch up on, so that's um, that's my favourite at the moment, but yeah, I do. I listen to them a lot when walking and driving. So mm-hmm. they're always good to catch up on. You know, you do your, your 
more yeah. automatic activities and you can just um, have it on in the background and catch up on topics of interest or professional professional interests. Yeah, amazing. So, so that one that you've just mentioned, what's the, what's the theme of it? So um, the one that I listen to, she does like a book club once a month. So she talks to the author um, and then uh, she does other ones. So um, famous actresses like recently was um, Leo Purcell. I don't know if it was recently, but it was one that I caught up on. So speaking with um, awesome Indigenous women from Australia. Mm. So that, yeah, yeah, it's really good. It's a good accidental discovery. Um, as we're moving more into talking about occupational violence, just before we go into that topic specifically, can you tell us about your professional career today? Okay. So um, when I finished school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but something that was supporting or helping people was um, the goal. And so I did psychology at uni, and I really wish I knew about all psychology then because the thought of doing sort of a clinical-type role um, didn't appeal to me. But um, anyway, I'm kind of working in that space now, um, just about 20-something years later. <laughs> and so I did some random jobs, travelled, and I um, I think I got interested in safety in about, I think it's 2001 when I started a role in a lift company. So I had this job where I was a logistics officer, which meant buying elevators from Finland and Italy. So I got to spend lots of money in those countries, but I was buying, you know, big metal boxes to put in buildings pretty much and um, became the health and safety rep in that role for the building. So we had a warehouse and office mostly risks, but um, that sort of started my interest. And then I got offered a job in Canberra, um, and I think a lot of people thought I was crazy at the time. I just really wanted a change of scenery. Um, I've always lived in Sydney uh, most of my life, um, so jumped at the chance, but asked, cheekily asked if I could do safety as well. And um, it was convenient because the guy who was already doing safety was about to retire, so they're like, sure, you can do that because no one wants to do safety except safety nerds like myself. And, um, yeah, so when I moved to Canberra, um, they paid for me to do a cert for, and I really liked the approach of the new safety manager who was like, you know, get out into the field as much as you can. Um, and the other thing that we did at that time was implement a new safety management system. But so for a new safety person, it was like ideal. You learn for, um, the, Nash, the Australian standard at the time was, it was 4801, now we've gone to the ISO standard, but I pretty much learned that by implementing a safety management system with the guidance of this um, safety manager. He was um, based in Sydney. And he also, um, as a new person going into a male-dominated um, field, I, I felt really kind of, I guess, nervous and maybe not as confident as I should be. And he was like, I don't care if you make a mistake. I always have your back. I will support any decision that you make. Um, and so that made me feel a bit more confident when going on to construction sites and things like that. Um, and the hands-on bit, I remember um, going on to site with a, one of the installation guys, Steve, and he um, 
asked me to come on site just to see the installation process. So we're sitting in the bottom of a lift pit and he's showing me how we put the um, machinery in. And it was the middle of winter in Canberra. Even the puddles were frozen. So I think gives you a bit of street cred, but it also um, is really eye-opening. And, and um, I can't get that hands-on because I'm not an engineer, but I can pass tools. So that's kind of how I was helping. But it was um, I think it's really good to be a bit more um, to be out there and not an office-based safety person, if that makes sense. So after that role, I did the Canberra thing and got a public service job, and that's with the health service. And so that was um, late 2007. Um, so that's about 15 years. And in the middle, I did a quality and safety role with mental health, and that gave me a bit more information about how a health service works, what the patient safety issues are. So not just um, mental health is obviously suicide and self-harm um, and then the violence risk, but there's also medication safety, falls, um, pressure injuries. So, like it's quite um, extraordinary how, um, how broad it is in a health service. So that's why I think I like that. Um, I like that kind of role because no two days are the same. That's very, like a very cliche thing to say, but the broad range of safety hazards plus the patient safety stuff on top of that is just phenomenal what um, staff manage on a day to day basis. Um, and yeah, my role started in 2018, um, this occupational violence role. I finished my master's in workplace safety and went back to the work health and safety role. So it was quite good timing. Hmm. Amazing. So you've been there for quite a while um, and your role has evolved since you've been there. Um, and, yeah, you're right. It's um, depending on what organisational context you work in, there'll be different different hazards um, presenting themselves um, and, and the space you work in, obviously, there's, there's a broad range. Yeah. Yeah. So um, let's talk a bit more then about your current role. So Director of Occupational Violence Prevention and Management at Canberra Health Services. Um, can you tell us what that role involves? Sure. So um, 2018 I went back to work health and safety and um, started just to, uh, I let my manager know at the time that I was interested in this um, issue and so I did some work as a senior safety advisor um, with data, the data collection um, and getting, I guess, getting the back of house right in our work health and safety team. And um, the role commenced in late 2018. And it involves a strategic piece, which is the um, occupational violence strategy, policy and procedure type work, and then the operational stuff. Um, that a normal work health and safety person would do, uh, risk assessments, incident investigations and support for managers um, and staff and then um, the normal government business such as uh, briefs, questions on notice, um, that kind of stuff. And then um, I guess it's probably a newish term that I've heard but internal consultancy type role as well which I really enjoy. Um, it's more uh, working with a team that has a complex issue with uh, occupational violence and coming up with strategies or brainstorming or um, but working as a team to help resolve the issue and 
Um, I've got to be mindful about confidentiality and um, sharing examples. So I'll just do generic type ones, but I've been um, working with teams before where I've done a presentation about what sort of um, procedures we can implement for this team and then um, at the end we'll do a bit of a brainstorm about a particular case and it might be a patient that has complex comorbidities and they sometimes they display behaviours of concern um, that, and then we sort of work towards having a, a strategy or a few strategies in place to make sure that staff are safe and that the patient is receiving their care um, as well. And sometimes that can mean relocating the care to a health service setting or um, having two staff attend the appointment, lots of different strategies like that. But I've got a long list of controls that we um, can implement. Well, yeah, yeah, it's done case by case, so you're presented with a, um, when you understand that there is an occupational violence um, risk there, um, then you can um, work with whoever's at risk um, to come up with an effective strategy to deal with that. Yeah, exactly. And it's um, it's very different in an inpatient setting, a rehab setting, um, community health centre setting, and then a home setting. And we have um, services in the um, correctional facilities. So, yeah, so it's quite mm -hmm. um, broad. And I, I think that one, that's the challenge that I like. And it's quite nice to um, be able to come up with some kind of plan. And obviously it's quite difficult to balance patient care and staff safety. So, um, yeah, we have to get creative sometimes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so um, we talk a lot about um, psychosocial hazards um, on the podcast. Um, so occupational violence is obviously, you know, we've just talked about it can be a, um, a safety issue for um, your staff. Can you explain um, how it's... Um, actually a psychosocial hazard what that means sure. um, so i think with um occupational violence and if it's okay i'll just say ov because we're going to be talking a lot <laughs> next half an hour but um, when we have an ov incident um, staff visitors family uh, a lot of people are impacted the organization um and i I kind of split it up into, I think, four categories. So we have that direct contact where the person may be physically injured and that impact impacts their life and their family. Um, it can mean that they no longer can do the role that they trained for, which also obviously has a quite an impact on the person. Um, and then um, you can have that cumulative effect uh, impact sorry, over time. So staff have um, been exposed to repeated low-level aggression, um, rude comments, racist comments, sexist comments. There's a whole range of um, types of verbal aggression that may occur, threats. Um, and so that cumulative effect over time can impact people differently. So some people might have you know, a month or two of that and can't cope and then others many years. So... Um, then we have uh, witnessing the um, OV. So 
a common scenario, well, not that common, thankfully, but a scenario of um, domestic or family violence spilling over into the health service. Um, and staff will witness that impact on their, their patient, for example, might be um, experiencing domestic violence and the, the perpetrator comes into their health setting. And um, that, yeah, that can be also distressing. Um, noting that people in the health service have their own lived experience potentially of trauma, previous over-incidents, domestic violence is quite, um, I guess, quite complex issue. And then the last one, which um, I think sometimes gets forgotten about, is um, vicarious trauma. So um, people like myself reading incidents on a daily basis that occur to our colleagues um, and uh, and making sure you have strategies in place to manage that. And then there's support staff that may read um Type notes for a medical officer, for example, or um, read case notes when they're scanning it in. Um, and there's also a lot of support staff that would witness this type of incident occurring: cleaning, food services, um, security, wards persons. Yeah, so I think that is probably a very long <laughs> answer, but it shows how it can impact in many different ways that I think people are, might not be aware of. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, you've just um, um, highlighted some of the examples of occupational violence in a healthcare setting and how they, um, you know, um, affect workers um, directly or indirectly. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and it's a, um, it, it's a very complex um, issue, I guess, and it does, yeah, there's lots of different effects and interactions um, with those individual factors as well that, you know, what people can um, cope with and, and their own histories and, and how those those different things interact. So, yeah, it's definitely a, a complex um, issue to be dealing with. Um, so Canberra Health Services actually published an OV strategy in 2019 um, and you were involved with that. Can you take us through some of the drivers behind why that decision was made to develop that strategy? Sure. So in the Work Health and Safety team, we had started um, working on this issue by, um, like I mentioned earlier, tidying up the data. And what we did notice was that um, once it was classified correctly and in a standardised way, there was, there was an increase in the issue across the organisation that was reported. It's um, very commonly underreported. And um, so we have that and then we um, conducted a workshop to do a risk assessment and that included a lot of stakeholders across the organisation and that risk was identified as high, um, which is probably obvious to most people, but when you have it documented and what our current controls are in place and um, I think it, it highlights that we need to do something about it. And then um, at around the same time, we had a new CEO who was very passionate about this and um, provided funding for consultancy to develop a strategy and did a call out um, for staff who were interested in being in the working group. So um, we included those, ex those stakeholders um, for the risk assessment, but we also um, had external stakeholders, so unions, work safe. Um, care and consumer reps 
been um, involved in that working group as well because it's not a, just a staff issue. Yes, they were the drivers and then having that executive sponsorship was very um, key to getting it going. <laughs> so you, you basically just outlined um, a few of the steps that were taken to create the strategy um, you know, overall, so it all started with you had some internal data you mentioned. Um, what was the nature of that data to begin with? Oh, so so the data, you said the data was um, kind of coded and yes. then um, you, you conducted a risk assessment after that, the, the, the nature of that original data. So the data indicated that um, over time we were having an increase in physical and verbal aggression towards staff, but um, physical is the one that's reported more commonly. Uh, as soon as somebody touches you, most people will report an incident, although they still don't sometimes, um, just because of busyness or, you know, seeing it as part of the job. Um, so I guess which is one of the reasons why we have a strategy to raise awareness about um, the safety issue. And then um, the other thing that we noted was included in the data were things um, were, were examples that were quite, um, that helped us define the issue, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. So um, we used that information to develop um, fact sheets for staff to give examples of what staff were experiencing. So um, being spat on, hit, kicked, punched, head butted, I saw, um, tripped over, pushed, things thrown at them. And so that, um, obviously, we need to do something about that. That's not okay for staff to experience that. But also um, we have to include um, consumer and care of voices in that because it's not just an us and them issue, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, okay. So so you had some, I suppose, um, incident data um, that um, raised some flags around, you know, this is, a, this is quite a, a widespread problem across the service. Um, what was, um, if you could outline the steps um, after that that were taken to actually get to the strategy, um, just to summarise for our listeners? Yeah. I find it's really hard to summarise this work because it was quite, um, it's quite involved. Um, so we had that working group and um, we had, I think there was like 80 to 100 people in a working group, which... I think when people hear that, they're just like, oh, my God, <laughs> how did you manage that? Was that, um, how did that work? But we had really good leadership that, I mean, we still have good leadership, but we had good leadership that ran the meeting really well and um, we engaged a consultant to for about three to four months. So that was Aspects Consulting who had done work previously with Big Health and they um, came in and were sort of part of the working group for the three months. Spoke to the working group, got ideas and um, did some consultation. So we did um, targeted consultation initially with the consultants, site visits, um, questionnaires that staff were sending, um, feedback to um, focus groups. So because we have a broad range of community-based staff, we did like a big working um, focus group, sorry, with all the community staff. So we have mental health, community nursing, um, maternal and child health nurses all in the same room talking about these issues, especially with the home visit 
that I mentioned before. Um, so once we, so the consultant um, sort of compiled a strategy where we have eight domains to um, address the issue. And when we got, um, then we presented to exec and um, got the okay to then start broad consultation, um, which I have, um, I got some stats for that, which no, I can't find. Um, so for the strategy document, we had 20 pages of feedback just for that strategy, which I think it's about 13 pages, 13 page document. For the policy, it was about 10 pages and for the procedure, so they, um, that was 35 pages of feedback. So people are very engaged. Um, they're happy to um, speak out. They have really good ideas. So that was great. Um, I don't think the small working group that I got together that was looking through that feedback were very happy with me <laughs> um, with that volume. But I think what what it was um, was good is that we got a strategy that was um, this was more geared towards a partnership with patients and parents. And we have a long way to go to get to that point, but it was heading heading in the right direction. And from the work health and safety perspective. Um, usually you don't have that carer and consumer involvement in um, when you're doing risk assessments or developing procedures. So I found that really valuable and I'm appreciative of the, those people sharing their lived experience um, with this issue. So um, that was tabled, it was actually tabled late, uh, early, sorry, 2020 um, in April and um, the Minister for Health tabled that at the Legislative Assembly, the ACT. Um, so it has a high profile and um, support from our um, government as well. So. Sounds like a very big yeah. piece of work then. And I look I think quite you into it. <laughs> just, just mm -hmm. it was, yeah, it was quite, it was really, it was a really good year to get. Um, and I think it was really important to get the, the foundations right and what our approach was. And we don't always get the time to do that. Sometimes you get told, just implement this. And we, um, the consultants um, reviewed literature around the world as well. So it was evidence-based approach, not just, I think this is gonna work, go and implement, um, which is very old school, but sometimes that's what you need to do as well. But yeah, I think I like that we have a good foundation and, um, I think my Alexa thing just went off. <laughs> it must have sounded like I said Alexa. Um, you have a good foundation to um, go into the future and get um, address this risk, and I think it will be combined with other psychosocial risks um, going forward as well. Fantastic. Um, yeah, look, that's it, it's really good, I think, for our listeners in particular to hear ex, uh, examples of case studies um, done well. And I think that that, um, you know, the consultation process that you've gone through there, having the right stakeholders involved, um, you know, having the advocate um, at the executive level um, and having good data to inform your decision making are all really important um, aspects of a foundation of any kind of a, a strategy like this. So I think, um, yeah, this is a, a, a fantastic um, example to share with our listeners. Um, now, the strategy itself has eight different domains. Can you take us through those? Sure. So um, as I 
I guess you can gather this is a very complex issue um, in a healthcare setting. I think most settings it's complex. Um, but in a healthcare setting, we have to balance patient care and staff safety and patient safety. So the eight domains, um, I guess, is approaching it in a multifaceted way. And governance was is the first one. If I forget one, Joelle, you have to let me know. <laughs> um, governance is the first and that um, is obviously getting your committee structure, um, you know, what, what committee is going to have oversight of this um, strategy, executive accountability and um, just getting all the policy and procedure through. So we had already kind of started that. So that was um, that governance domain was already um, commenced. And then the next one um, is prevention. So this domain is quite big and very broad and still uh, we're most of the way through, but um, it covers things like having a risk assessment tool for areas to use, um, not just from a work health and safety environmental perspective, but a patient um, dynamic risk assessment. So, for example, we use um, behaviours of concern chart is what we call it, um, and some services use Brossett violence checklist as a base for that tool. Um, and then we have different ones for adolescents. Um, Pediatrics, sorry, and for um, geriatrics, so that it's um, patient cohort specific. Uh, definitely a big factor is the design of um, safety and design, so ensuring that facilities that we do um, build in the future have good line of sight, no blind spots, um, safe furniture and um, fittings, so we don't have things that can be used as um, weapons. Um, and things like that. So we have that embedded in our risk assessment tool, but also we are, um, as a work health and safety team, other team members are involved in those um, meetings, those working groups that are developing new services. We have a big one coming the moment. Um, training is also a big one, so ensuring that our training meets the needs of staff. And um, I'll talk a bit more about that um, in detail later, um, but what we did get from the consultant was a um, framework for training that had um, some key principles, so ensuring that the staff providing the training have experience working with patients and addressing the issue, um, that we had dedicated staff, that the approach was customizable and team-based, um, so we got a lot of um, information from the from the consultant sorry to customize our training um, reporting so I talked already a bit about that how we fixed up our back end standardizing how we classify incidents staff incidents but um, we're providing um, more resources and um, education to staff on how to report well what even is a OV incident um, response is another area so um, this, this is an issue that will probably never be eliminated. So when we have an incident, we need to be able to have a good, um, well-coordinated response to the issue. So that, um, that covers that. And also, um, we had a duress system implemented for staff that work in the home setting. Um, and that's almost, uh, implement, uh, almost fully implemented. 
Okay, so support is another domain that's quite um, important. And we worked with the health and wellbeing team on the actions related to this. And now in the organisation, we're actually revisiting that um, in a broader setting. And we have um, currently in the process of um, working through initiatives um, to be implemented later in the year. Because obviously with COVID and a healthcare setting, um, that um, support is well needed. Um, so I think what was useful is that we used the support for other types of issues. So clinical incidents such as a, a death of a patient, for example, um, the same strategies can be used for a person that um, has experienced OV, but obviously it's just um, tailored slightly differently. Um, the other investigation, so we just tightened up our investigation processes and um, staff and consumer awareness is the last one. I feel like I've missed one, but maybe not. <laughs> we talk about them a lot. Um, and that one is sort of increasing awareness um, between staff and consumers, as well as um, uh, detailing the mutual expectations or behaviour expectations of both. So we know that um, the behaviour of not just patients but staff can um, can sometimes lead to an OV type incident or escalation of behaviour. I have a visitor. Oh, we've got a cat on the screen. <laughs> it's distracting you. <laughs> it's a cat's job, isn't it? Just to come and interrupt. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, look, I think that's a really comprehensive strategy that you've taken us through there, Peter, and I really like um, that you've covered sort of the full spectrum of um, of different areas that you, you really need to think about in this type of an intervention or, um, or a strategy um, and including looking at things like consumer awareness as well as as well as staff. So you're not just focusing on your staff, but you're actually um, looking at, you know, what is the role of the of the consumer in this situation as well. Um, so I think that's really comprehensive. Um, so I was just thinking as you were talking too, because um, you kind of said, you know, we started this in 2019, um, kind of implemented some things from what was finalised um, early 2020, and now we're maybe two and a half years in. Um, what are the most successful initiatives um, that have come from the strategy since that time, the last two years um, or so? I think uh, it's, it's a little bit early to say because a lot of the things are um, only just implemented or final stages, like the training and the duress system, for example. But I think the visibility of the issue, the risk across the organisation has increased. Um, we went from it not, you know, people not really knowing what it, except for those high risk locations, people not really knowing that it um, was an issue for them as well, to um, it being talked about in every safety committee or team meeting. Um, and then the increase in um, incident reporting. So we've noticed that there's a higher number of verbal incidents being reported. And that's, that was um, not what we were seeing in 2018 or 19. Um, you would have, and obviously if there's a physical incident, you'd expect that verbal would be higher. So um, I think that underreporting is being addressed. 
still got a long way to go, but I think that um, is a really good reflection on the staff, you know, taking it on, um, considering what they've been going through with COVID as well. Um, and then we have a really, we had implemented a poster campaign that was really well received by staff, um, could respect our staff, and that was a humanistic approach to OB instead of having our poster campaign with aggressive images of what the behaviours that we don't want to see. So I thought that was a really good um, way to increase visibility. And then I think the involvement in the engagement of staff. So I haven't really got specific initiatives that I think are successes, but what's come out of it I think is a success. So engagement of staff in risk assessments has been wonderful. I've been working with, um, I think personally I've done about 50, and that includes reviewing um, risk assessments for previous, um, for high-risk, sorry, teams. And the tool was developed in 2018. I started with a colleague. Um, and tested it several times. So to see where it is now and the engagement from staff and the number of actions from the action plan when we um, developed an action plan that have been completed has just been really wonderful. Um, we have, like the emergency department, when we reviewed theirs and we were like going through all the actions, it was like, yep, tick, or partially done. It's just like really great to see. And, that, and that's one area that has been through a um, high volume of work in the last couple of years, um, as well as a, um increase in aggression. And I think, um, oh, sorry, I was just going to say the security um, improvements across the organisation as well has um, one thing that's been really good. CCTV, Juris, um, even... Um, knowledge of where the duress systems are for stuff, like we've got a duress map um, on our intranet, um, access control, improvement, um, increase in staffing, and also some units have dedicated security on site that are, are seen as part of the team. So it sounds like there's been a big, um, I guess, shift and improvement in the culture around safety that now, um, you know, a lot, you're saying a lot of your the staff uh, and the workforce is really engaged in kind of, you know, taking part in risk assessments and reporting, yeah. um, which we don't typically see. Um, safety, like you said earlier, you know, no one really wants to do safety or it's just seen as a check the box. But it sounds like there's there's been um, um, a big shift in, in the culture around safety there. So that sounds yeah, yeah like definitely. a really big win. And just even getting repeat customers or um, referrals from other managers or staff We've seen an increase in that in our, within our team as well regarding this issue. So, um, and then the team more broadly are able to address it. It's not just um, me. And there was another project officer for two years as well working on it. So I didn't. Um, yeah. So I think that um, multidisciplinary approach has been really valuable. We had a nurse as a project officer, so that perspective was um, wonderful. Mm. Amazing. Well, Peter, this has been a really interesting discussion today. Um, as I said, um, OV is a topic that we really haven't haven't spoken about yet, and it's been fantastic to have this um, really sort of practical, you know, almost a step by step guide 
um, for other organisations who are wanting to address this. So um, that, that's been fantastic. Um, one of the questions that we ask all of our guests is um, if you were to look into the future, um, what would you ideally want to see there as far as workplace mental health goes? Um, for personally, I think being able to um, seek help for a, a mental health issue in the workplace and having no stigma attached. So um, I don't feel like we're at a place where if I fell over and broke my arm, I would be treated like I'd feel like I'd be treated the same way as if I went in and said I'm having panic attacks. So just like having that um, level playing field for those type of issues. Um, and I think the speaker a couple of weeks ago on Are You OK Day, she had their lived experience. I think that more of that needs to happen. Um, but also that um, they shouldn't have to be seen as brave. It should just be normal that you do that, I think. Um, I think that for me would be the ideal, and that um, people are feel more that, that people will feel more comfortable asking for help in that kind of situation. Yeah, so so mental ill health just being seen as part yeah. of the human condition, the, the same way that that physical physical ill health is sometimes, and that it's um, it's just part of yeah part of life and something that we sometimes yeah. need help with. Sorry, I'm rattling papers. Oh. <laughs> I think. That's okay. So before we um, finish up for our episode today, um, do you have any advice or um, parting words for professionals, individuals wanting to work in this space in particular, whether that's just generally psychological health and safety or in, in a healthcare sure. setting? Um, I think a lot of people on previous episodes have talked about professional development type um, strategies, so webinars, reading books, um, listening to podcasts but I think um, what's really valuable is sort of looking at why why you want to do it are you passionate about it um, what's going to keep you motivated and for me I'm very passionate about it um, so that helps me with my motivation but also I think it's important to know that you have a good support network because this is a tough area to work in and um, you hear some really tough stories from your um, colleagues and so I think having support network and having some strategies in place when you're having a tough day um, I think that for me I walk to the auxiliary shop on hospital campus and buy chocolate is probably not ideal but that's one of my strategies <laughs> um, and then having some colleagues to debrief with but being mindful that um, me debriefing about some incident um, can be traumatising to them, so sort of doing it in a safe way. Um, and I think that two key um, skills that you need or I guess to think about is that you are, um, have good communication skills so that you can consult, listen and build really good relationships with staff um, and that because they're often they're the expert in that um, area of work and as a work health and safety professional maybe well-being practitioner um, psychologist we are in a role to support them to do a safe job um, or feel supported at work so I think we need to really have good communication skills but listening is definitely 
um, key um, in that role. Yeah, and so the last bit I wanted to mention was that um, this is a role that um, and an, an area that you can't address on your own as a work health and safety professional or whichever angle that you're addressing it. Um, you need to work with other professionals. So um, for me, I work with security and um, liaise with clinical staff. And sometimes I have um, called on expertise. So I have a friend who is a forensic psychiatrist um, that teaches at the uni. So I, I might call on her if I'm really stuck. And, um, yeah, so I think it's a multidisciplinary approach. Um and there's also external stakeholders that um, can provide advice. Yeah, so I think that that's the advice that I would give. Fantastic. Well, Peter, thank you so much for your time today um, and for sharing all of that um, wisdom and insight um, from what you've been working so hard on over the last few years. Um, if we do have listeners who want to um, reach out and maybe follow up and, and get some advice from you, how can they get hold of you? Um, the best way is through LinkedIn. I, um, I'm happy to, for people to message me directly. Yep, fantastic. Great. Thank you so much for that. Um, and so that brings us to the end of the episode, listeners. Um, so don't forget, um, we do have we do post all of the videos on our YouTube channel, um, so you can uh, check them out there. Um, on our Flourish LinkedIn page, we will share um, some short clips um, from our episodes. Um, so we've got some of that short form content as well. Um, and you can always connect with Alicia and I over LinkedIn if you want to um, further the conversation. Um, if you're interested in coming on, if you want to have something to share as, as a guest, um, you can hit us up there as well um, or just, just to have a chat. Uh, we're always happy to hear um, what people have to say. So that's it for today and we'll catch you next time. You've been listening to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. To stay up to date with the latest on psychological injury prevention, follow Flourish DX on LinkedIn and subscribe to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast at www.psychhealthandsafety.com.